Uh, good morning. <laughs> well, just so you know, a little secret here, okay? I've got to, I'm supposed to wait for the light to come on. Um, when I was new up here, I was bad at that, you know? So anyhow, I, they have taught me well. So you see me just disciplined there. Uh, well, welcome to North Shore. I am lead pastor Scott Harris. I am glad that you are all here. I am glad you're online. Um, I said it a couple weeks ago. We have um, typically between 300 and 375 people online e each week. And so I do not want to miss you. Um, I'm glad that you are joining us. Uh, I love to hear the stories of what Jesus is doing in your life. Uh, even uh, at home in this journey, uh, we get the privilege of meeting people who have been with us online for over a year and they'll come and they'll say, I've, I've been with you for a year and here's what God has been doing in my life. And so it's an important ministry we have. So glad you're here. And I'm sure there's more of you home uh, with this whole smoke thing. That was uh, interesting, wasn't it? I woke up this morning and felt like I was at a campsite, you know, in my house. Um, so if I got that, that smoke smell, you know what's going on there. Uh, well, today we're going to uh, do just a two-week series on our vision, just an opportunity to share uh, the vision here at North Shore. And so I'm excited about this. Uh, the fall is a, uh, a typical time here in the U.S. that there's a lot of things that start, you know, school, um, you know, jobs kind of pick up, vision. Uh, so it's just this beginning. Church is the same way. It's kind of the beginning of the season. And so I'm praying for all of you that this would be a season of connecting at a deeper level with Christ. You know, just think about the last couple years, we've had barriers to even meet and all kinds of different things. And so there is this new season, I think, of maybe we can look to the future versus fighting with the today like we have for the last couple of years. So I want to invite you to take a deeper step into your faith uh, this fall. Uh, so if you need a Bible, lift your hands up. Um, we'll get a Bible to you. Turn to Luke 19. I would like to open in prayer. So just Keep your hands up and you can have your eyes open so the Bible doesn't hit you, okay? Let me pray for us. Father God, we love you. You are good. We have come here for you. So I just ask that through the Holy Spirit, Jesus would speak to us, that his word would uh, sink deep into our lives and transform us. And God, would we not be the same because we had an encounter with you? So each of us, myself included, we surrender ourselves to your work now. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen, amen. So when we talk about vision, uh, we talk about it for this reason. Uh, uh, anything that you're part of, sometimes it's stated, sometimes it's not, there is a vision. Uh, and the vision is where you're going. It sets the course for you. So here at North Shore, we want to have a very clear course set for us. Where are we going? What are we about? Because when you state that vision and you understand that vision, then it becomes this calling, right, to be unified because we are stronger together. Scripture calls us to be together and we can do a greater work for the gospel together. So we always each year start off the fall with talking about our vision. And here, our vision, the foundation of it is Jesus Christ. And I'm hoping that's good news to you, right? Our foundation is Jesus, the only hope for humanity. That is our foundation. Every vision has to have the right foundation. Jesus is ours. 
He's the only hope for humanity, for all people. You know, because we're answering our call with that and Jesus being our foundation. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, really the whole chapter, verse 11, uh, we have a call to build on only one foundation. There is no other foundation other than Jesus Christ. So we answer our call by everything we do and how we do everything is through Jesus, for Jesus, by Jesus. Ephesians 2, he tells us that he is our cornerstone. Everything is set and built on him at North Shore. So I pray uh, if you're new here, you hear a lot about Jesus because he is our foundation. And he's our foundation because he's our only hope. He's our only hope. Acts 2, uh, or excuse me, 412 says this, is that there is no other name by which a man can be saved other than Jesus. So our salvation now into eternity rests in one name, and that's Jesus. And in that, Titus 2.13 uh, says this, says, Jesus, we wait for this blessed hope. So we live today, and our eyes are set for the future. Uh, Jesus, our only hope, our hope is found in him, and him only. Now, you know, hope, as you start looking at that, hope is a powerful, powerful thing, right? I was doing a lot of reading, uh, watching stuff on YouTube. I mean, hope is a major topic. You know, I watched all these um, uh, celebrities, you know, talking about hope and, and all these things, and I'm, I was gonna quote a celebrity, I said, no, nah, I won't, won't quote them. Uh, but I read this article in Psychology Today, and it was this doctor, a secular doctor, who uh, what his practice was is doing uh, counseling and, and therapy uh, around natural disasters. And then uh, one natural disaster is also economic uh, uh, recessions and collapses around the world. And what he said is there's these mindsets. There's a survival mindset, and then there is uh, the, um, what do you call it, the survivor uh, falling mindset. Um, but the survivor mindset, the one who's championing the moment, he says there was a, common theme, typically, uh, and that was faith. That faith, and typically in Christianity, he was secular, but Christianity was the number one. Faith in Jesus was one of the number one factors for somebody having hope and surviving through a disaster. Hope is powerful. You know, this week, if you um, know, uh, heard, Queen Elizabeth passed, right? And in August of this year, so end of her life just a few weeks ago, she was quoted saying this is, um, my life is guided by the teachings and messages of Jesus Christ. In it, I find my hope. Hope is a powerful thing, and we all understand that. And I think we understand it even more in the seasons that we've gone through. Um, we live in a world that is in a state of trauma, we, as Christians, are in an institute, Christianity, that is in a state of trauma. And how do you survive that trauma? Studies are clear, scriptures are clear. It's through hope in Jesus. And so our vision at North Shore is founded on Jesus, the only hope for humanity. Everything we do comes from that. So our vision statement here is to see our communities, 
change through hope in Jesus one person at a time. So our, our vision here, let me state it again, is to see our communities changed through hope in Jesus one person at a time. And breaking that down just a little bit is what is our communities? It's wherever you are in another person. Okay, it's wherever you are in somebody else and maybe even some more people. Community is where we're at, where we bring the gospel. Uh, we want to see those changed, right? Transformed. So your community might be um, your marriage. I believe Jesus wants to do something powerful in your marriage, right? It might be your family. It might be your church. It might be your school, your workplace, your extended family. It might be your town, right? Your state, your country, the world. All of those fit what community is. It's wherever you are and one plus others is community. Our vision is for those communities to be changed through hope in Jesus. Jesus Christ came to this world to change it, to transform it. Because what he says and what we know is when he changes a person, other people change. People change, places change, families can be turned upside down in a beautiful way through Jesus Christ. Policies change, right? You know, we don't get real political here, right? And here, there's a reason why. Because a real change is not what your political flavor is, it's where your heart is for Jesus Christ. That's where the change comes. If Christians will go to the polls and they will act in a way and, and live their life in a way that honors Jesus, things will change. So as a pastor, I want to shepherd hearts toward Jesus. And I believe this, not in my political rhetoric or whatever, but in the power of the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ, things will change. Revival will come, right? Jesus came to change the world. He came to change you and change your community, your friendship, your relationship, on and on. And here's what I love about Jesus, and we find in our vision statement, he does it one person at a time. One person at a time. He sees the individual, the person, and he comes. Um, and I've heard it stated this way, and I believe it to be true. Jesus would have went to the cross just for you. Just for you. And that's true of each one of us. One person at a time. So we take on those actions of Jesus. We see the person. That's why we say we are family. We love each other. We care for each other. We press in. We see the individual. Now, the challenging part of that, right, and this has been, here's one of the shortfalls of when I have got this position as lead pastor two and a half years ago. Uh, I love people. I love precedent. Uh, there's too many of them all of a sudden. It breaks my heart. Um, but as I look at scripture, the good news is it's not all on me. It's family. It's all of us. Every one of us. Stepping in, seeing people, loving people, caring for people. And when the church does that, right, then they can see the transformation of Jesus one person at a time. People are seen, cared for, loved. And so, a pitch is coming. Uh, I got the shirt that says Life Group here at North Shore. I wanna encourage you uh, to get involved in a life group. It's how 
the macro church gets small to become a micro church, a small family, to have people seen, cared for, loved. Because nothing as a pastor breaks my heart than if someone just rolls in here on a Sunday and rolls out. That is not what the church is supposed to be. Uh, it is a family where we love and care for each other. And we go through big stretches of time where we really, really don't need anybody. We're fine, we're in a rhythm. But tell you what, when that moment comes, you're gonna want one of your brothers and sisters in the Lord to hold your hand and be there with you, be there for your family, right? So this is never intended to be walked out alone, our faith. And that's what life groups are about. So you can put your phone up and sign up there. Orange shirts all over. Uh, go talk to them. Get involved. Take a step of faith. Make your church small in a beautiful way. So our vision statement here is to see our communities change through hope in Jesus one person at a time. I want to take us to a story. Uh, for most of you, it's probably a familiar story where you see in Scripture this lived out, this very thing. And so just look at it, learn from it, hopefully be inspired in it. And it's the story of Zacchaeus in Luke 19, 1 through 10. So you turn there. I'm going to read it. I call it a story of hope. This is late in Jesus' ministry on earth. Um, it's set in Jericho. He is making his way to Jerusalem, uh, and he's, he's almost there to where when he gets there, he will be uh, tried and crucified for us. Verse 1, he entered Jericho, talking about Jesus, he entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief, chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to know, to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. Verse 4, so he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And, and when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So what we see here in this story um, is a story of hope, right? of a life changed, uh, a single life changed through hope in Jesus Christ. So it starts off in these first three verses there. Uh, you see a hidden hope, a hidden hope. You see a Jesus coming, right, passing through, heading to Jerusalem. Uh, the book of Luke, so you know, a little FYI, uh, really follows the journey to Jerusalem of Jesus. You know, as he is heading to his mission, to go to the cross. If you look up in uh, Luke 18, uh, verses 31, I think, uh, uh, through 35 right there, I think 34, um, what you'll see that is uh, 
all through Luke, he says, hey, we're heading up to Jerusalem because elevation, it's high. Uh, we're heading up to Jerusalem, heading to Jerusalem, and they're going toward Jerusalem. And he tells them, why? Because I'm going to go there, and I'm going to die, and I'm going to rise again. And that's going to be the fulfillment of prophecy. So he is on the way to Jerusalem, Jesus is, to be the Passover lamb once and for all, die for our sins. There he's going. And he is on the common route there. He's going to go through Jericho. And in Jericho is a man named Zacchaeus. Now, his occupation, he is a chief tax collector. Okay? Bad guy in the cultural view, right? Because he worked for Rome, the occupier. And what you do as a tax collector is you would bid to become a tax collector and say, bid like, I can collect this much, this many taxes. Ooh, that's a lot of money, Zacchaeus. Okay, you get the job. And then what the tax collector would do is increase it on the people, and that's how they've got their money. And so when it says he was a chief tax collector, he was the boss of tax collectors. He was good at his job. Um, and it was rich. Uh, you look at Jericho, where he was the tax collector. Jericho is a very, very important city. Many of you uh, remember it uh, from the Old Testament. Jericho was the city that uh, Israel came through into the promised land, and Joshua, I remember, marched around it, blew the trumpet, shouted, and the walls came down, right? Okay, that, that's Jericho. Um, Jericho is a powerful, powerful city. Uh, they call it the city of palms because it had palm trees all around. It's beautiful for the site. It had this spring, this really, really robust spring. Uh, all these flowers, balsam trees, tropical flowers. Um, they called it the city of perfume, too, because it smelled so amazing. Great world leaders lived there. Alexander the Great lived in Jericho, right? Um, Herod the Great, right, had a winter home in Jericho. It's where the who's who of the world would go to. Mark Anthony, right? He gave Jericho, in the plains of Jericho, to Cleopatra, his uh, lover, the queen of Egypt. It was a powerful city. It was in the crossroads of world trade. Uh, and they had this, uh, uh, through these uh, uh, balsam trees, they had this balm they created that became one of the great medical wonders of the world. And so um, it was incredibly wealthy, all the trade. Zacchaeus' house, uh, you know, uh, tradition has it, was one of the largest homes there. And you're starting to compare homes with Alexander the Great, Herod the Great. Wow. It was a rich area. And so if you're a tax collector in Jericho, guess what? That's a lot of money. A lot of money. That's why Scripture says he was rich. He was rich. But there was a hidden hope, something below the surface in Zacchaeus. Verse 3, look at verse 3. He had all that. And he says this. He was seeking to see who Jesus was, it says. That's an interesting verse in the Greek and everything. He had heard of Jesus. Jesus had been through Jericho a number of times. He was baptized just outside of Jericho. The temptation of Jesus in the desert, just outside of Jericho. You know, John the Baptist had ministry there. Um, 
even just before uh, Jesus entered this time, if you look up uh, in chapter 18, you know, Jesus did some healings, healed a blind man, right, there. And that blind man shouted out, he says, what, what's this crowd walking by? Oh, so it, it, it's Jesus of Nazareth. And the blind man yelled at Jesus, son of David. He knew who he was, he was a king. So Jesus, they knew about Jesus. So this is not, Zacchaeus like, wow, who's that guy? You know, let's go see a rock star or whatever. No, he had heard about him. But what this verse says, he was seeking to see, not just see him, to see who he was. There's a Greek word called zeteo uh, that's in there. And it is longing to seek something, the depth of something. What is it about? What makes it tick? It's spiritual and divine pursuit. Zacchaeus, though he was wealthy and all this world holdings, there was something underneath. This hope churning him. And he went to see who was Jesus. Was he the person that could heal? Was he the person that was transforming and changing lives that could bring hope and satisfy this deep, deep yearning? You know, for him, it was buried. It was buried under the world's lies. All the money, all the wealth, all the celebrity of the who's who. The common person hated him, but Rome didn't. Probably loved him. Because see, what happens when you're taken by those and that those become your pursuit, they actually leave your soul empty. They don't fill it. Replaces God. There is no hope in money. It will go away someday. So it's buried for him, this hope, uh, and it was trapped. You know, he was kicked out of, they called him a sinner. He was not allowed any of the Jewish stuff. So he was an outsider spiritually. So he, he didn't even know, what do I do? How do I ask these questions? I don't even know what to ask. Who do I go to? Everybody in the church hates me. What do I do? I'm trapped. I, I've got this hope. I'm hearing about this Jesus. I'm feeling something. What do I do? It's trapped. And then he just said, I'm going. I'd call that bubble burst. I've got to go. I'm going. And it's interesting if we look at people. Uh, I'm thinking of uh, Augustine's prayer. You know, it says, and I, I hope I'll quote it right. It says, Oh Lord, um, the soul is restless till it finds its rest in you. Right? We have a soul that's restless. I mean, I so identify with this story. I've told it many times, but becoming a Christian at 24, I remember decades of being in a place of thinking, is this it? Is this all the world offers? You know, as I would grow, mature, experience new things that were supposed to bring me life. And I, I remember after doing some of these things, I'd lay in bed at night. I wasn't a depressed guy or nothing, so it wasn't that kind of scene. It was just like, that's it? That's what the world's offering? There's gotta be more. There's gotta be more. And all of our hearts, I think all the human hearts churn. They have hope right below the surface. And they're just waiting for an invitation. And that's, you know, what uh, Alpha you know, you see us talk a lot about Alpha, which is the basics of the Christian faith. Um, I think a lot of people are just waiting for a place to be invited to. 
to process fate. Because one thing about the information age, it kind of makes us mad because all kinds of crazy lies. Um, but what happens is it makes people ask questions. And how cool for a Christian to show up and say, let's talk about it. Let's answer those things. Let's talk to that hope that's just right below the surface. Well, that was Zacchaeus' story. He had this hope that was hidden. And the story goes on. Then we see a, a hope encountered. And I love this. And I'm look at three different people in this encounter. There's the surprising one, and then there's the faithful one, and you'll see the unaware ones. So uh, verse three as well, in verse four, the surprising one is Zacchaeus. And what's interesting here is at what length he will go in pursuit of this hope. You know, hope is an attraction. It draws on people. I don't know if I've ever met a person who doesn't want hope satisfied. It just draws them. You see Zacchaeus, um, when he heard about this, uh, I would love to know more of the story. How many days and nights did he just think about it? And all of a sudden, there's this opportunity. There he is. And the motivation of hope, you know. Okay, I'm going to go out among people who hate me. Remember the crowd he's going to, right? They hate him. Because of hope, I'm going. And he goes out. And then he does something else. He's a dignified, wealthy man. And I'm not, no short jokes here, right? Just so you know, okay? We'll keep that for the psalm. Um, but this man, this dignified man, this wealthy man, takes off running to get ahead and then climbs a tree? When's the last time you climbed a tree? Right? I'm going to guess there were, people just didn't climb trees all the time then. So he climbs the tree, runs ahead just to see who he was. Right? He was so motivated by hope. And I want to encourage us when we look at our vision do not underestimate the power of hope in someone's life. So often, like, nah, they're busy. It's us that do not give them the opportunity to step in and say, hey, can I come to church with me today? And I bet you, eight out of 10 times, you're gonna be shocked at the motivation of hope. They're gonna say yes, and when you thought for 15 years, they would never say yes. In fact, you don't, I mean, I'm guilty, okay? Let's just go do this together, okay? A little Christian shame right here. Um, uh, so I'll take it with you. I wouldn't even bring my faith up. I'm so nervous. If I act nice enough, you know, please ask me about my faith. You know what I mean? We're all there. We underestimate the power of hope. And so I take you to your moment of discovery, of having hope. When all you needed is someone to ask. All you needed is someone to show up at your house and love you. All you need is someone to say, do you mind if we pray for that? And you, you burst that bubble of hope and it comes bursting out. Don't underestimate hope. So we got this surprise when he surprised us of how we responded to hope. The next is the faithful one. The faithful one. Because <laughs> as you walk, it's Jesus, of course. He sees him in the tree and what's he say? Verse five. See, Zacchaeus, there you are, I see you. And we have to know this. 
Jesus sees us. He sees the people we're praying for. He sees him. He sees us. He knows us. And then he says this, come down. I must stay with you today. Don't miss that word must. He says, this is why I came. I came here, verse 10 tells us, and we'll see a little later, uh, on a mission to seek and save the lost, to pursue those who don't know me, who don't know God, who don't have the joy and hope and peace of God. I am hunting them in a beautiful way. I'm pursuing them. And what you see here at the base of this tree is a powerful collision of pursuits. Someone pursuing hope. They're so hurt, so broken, the world's let them down so much, they're going for this Jesus. And then there's this Jesus pursuing them, and in a beautiful way, bam, they meet at the base of this tree. You have to understand this about Jesus. This is who he is. He is hope. He is the blessed hope. He brings hope, and he is pursuing us to bring hope to give us hope, for us to share hope. It's what he does. Jeremiah 29, 13, I love it. says, if you seek him, you will find him when you seek him with all your heart. Matthew 7, 7, knock and the door shall be opened. Seek and you will find. It is just who he is. He's faithful. He's the faithful one. You can count on him. And so many of us are in moments of hope is dim. Whether it's in our own life and our journey or for someone else. That prodigal child you have, that neighbor that you just don't think will ever be drawn to the the gospel. He is faithful. He is pursuing. He can be trusted. He can be trusted. He's a faithful one. He will bring hope. And then there's another group, and that's the unaware ones. The unaware ones in verse 7. And this is the crowd that's there. um, uh, We're led to believe um, that it's probably the the Jewish people, um, the faithful ones, the believers at the time. And what happens is they were unaware They begin to grumble when Jesus and Zacchaeus go to his house. They're saying, what is he doing? He's going to go be the guest of a sinner? (sighs) See, what they saw, they saw the sinner, right? This is how he didn't measure up. He's not following the rules like us. That man hurt us. He's not part of this community. We've already kicked him out. And they saw the sinner. And you see anger, disdain, legalism come in. Let me ask you a question. Was Zacchaeus a sinner? Yes. If you steal from poor people, let's just agree that's sin, okay? Um, yes. So it's a justified title. But is that what God wants us to see? Because you know, here's what they missed. They missed a savior. They missed a savior. They missed Jesus. They took Zacchaeus and said, boy, you should be just like us. 
You can't be a, a non-believer. You can't be just an infant in Christ. No, you better act just like me. I tell you, one of the things I'm so happy with is when Sandy and I were coming to faith. Um, we were 24-year-olds, but in the Christian faith, we were knuckleheads. Don't know if I should tell you this. She knows where I'm going. I'm just, um, my first Bible study um, with the other lukewarm Christians, I think, you, um, so we weren't Christians yet, uh, we planned to go out the next night and just get ripped, just so you know. That was my first Bible study. Uh, they didn't kick me out. They stayed with me. I'd love to hear their conversations now because we did it in the group. I didn't know you weren't supposed to have those conversations. So I didn't do it secretly. The study got over. We're good, good. And I found out they drank a lot. We drank a lot. Let's go. Let's go do this thing. And we went out and tore it up. But over time, we found Jesus, but they stayed with us. My Sandy's laughing, right? Kind of embarrassing, isn't it? I'm, I'm sorry, church. Um, um, yeah. My resume will be online, okay? Um, uh, but they missed a savior. They missed Jesus. The, the very person they need. They need someone that will walk along their sin. Someone that would go to the cross and die for their sin. Would shed his blood. Go to the grave and have victory over death. They need that too. They missed it. They forgot. Because they were waiting for their Messiah. There he was. Doing what he does. When I was on Orcas Island, um, we had an, an elder. Um, I was going to be careful because these things are recorded now. Um, I won't give his name. Um, uh, he's going to know who I'm talking about. I love you. Um, uh, very, very wealthy man. Uh, was an executive at uh, HP and, you know, retired really early and was living in Orcas, one of our elders. I love Jesus. Well, uh, uh, like typical Orcas wealthy people, they have homes different places. So he was in his California home, uh, but he's a high-tech guy, so he had his house just rigged amazing with security. Just, he had this incredible house. Um, anyhow, he's down in California, gets a notification that someone's coming up his road on his property. He's got cameras everywhere. So he sees it. These two young guys in a car driving up to his house, broke through the gate, go up, get to his house, jump out, get a hammer out of the back, go in and bust the front window open, jump in there, uh, steal bunch of stuff, you know, a bunch of very, very expensive stuff, artwork, all kinds of stuff, steals them. Um, he does have fun because he's got some sirens. He can, he put this siren that's like, like one of the foghorn things, you know, loud. So he triggers that. He said they about died. I mean, he just, brrr, the whole house just starts ringing. But he was sending clips of this event to the police real time, right? And so these poor criminals didn't get very far. They got caught. You know, they got down to Bottom Hill. They got arrested. Well, there are two high school kids from Orcas Island. And in those times, I was the youth pastor, and I ran camps. And a lot of the local kids came. Well, he came, comes up, you know, got arrested and stuff, and they got bailed out of jail. And he says, you know, I knew him. He actually played my football team and stuff. He says, can I come to camp this year? So I go, this is, okay, yeah, sure. So he comes to our youth camp. Well, he has a Jesus experience. Uh, he gets saved, and we have this amazing time, just a beautiful week of you know, him just repenting, of, of just a lot of different things and tough, tough life background. Loves Jesus, all this stuff. So we do camp, we come back, and I'm getting ready to go to church on Sunday. My phone rings. It's this kid. High school kid, he goes, hey, can I go to church with you? So, hmm. 
okay, come to church with me. And I did some different roles in the church at that time, so I had to sit in the front row. So I'm sitting down, he comes up and sits with me. One of the things I had to do at the church uh, each Sunday, smaller church, so we would have open prayer. She'd stand up, I'd turn around, um, and you know, the congregation would, would pray. People have prayer requests and stuff, and then I would close in prayer after all these prayer requests. So <laughs> doing that, and all of a sudden he's right here, his hand goes up. Goes, I know what he wants, he wants to give a prayer request, right? Uh, interesting thing, about four rows back right over here is this elder that he broke into his house, stole all his stuff, and he was prosecuting him to the fullest. So I'm sitting there thinking, yeah. <laughs> he says, can I say something? He doesn't know what I know, right? He's just having a Jesus moment. You know where this goes. Like, so this could be fun. Sure. So he stands up, turns around, stands next to me, and begins to talk about Jesus. Uh, he doesn't know he's talking to the person he broke his house into. He repents, said what he did, what he has done, and what Jesus is doing in his life. It's amazing, right? And I'm in prayer, I have one eye open, looking over here, right? Like, um, but after this, okay, long story for this, this guy comes up to me. He goes, wow. He goes, you know what I did? I didn't leave room for Jesus in this whole story. And I think these unaware ones, that's what's happened. They, they didn't leave room for Jesus. You know, they forgot about this. They got into all the legalistic, the bad guy, not doing it right, all this stuff, understanding there's this Savior that came to change the world, and the answer is Him. So the more angry they got, the more determined they should have been about getting Jesus into the story, right? The only one that could truly change somebody from the deepest core of who they are. That's why here, our mission is to see our communities change through hope in Jesus one person at a time. We partner with Jesus, verse 10. I love what he says. Well, let me go with this. I love this. I don't want to miss this. Is this. Because then after that, right, um, what happens to Zacchaeus? He was changed, but a whole community was changed. Zacchaeus, right, he stood up and said this, Lord, and don't miss that word, Lord. Because that word is, you're my king, Jesus. I'm not about this kingdom. Rome, Israel, none of it. It's you, Jesus. You are my Lord. And I will follow you. I will do things your kingdom way. I'm a citizen of your kingdom. So that word, Lord, is powerful. When he stood up and said, Lord, start following Jesus. And then you see a heart change. We were introduced to Zacchaeus, right, in verse uh, 2, as a rich man. And now we see this man is no longer focused on his rich, but focused on his repentance and his changed heart and his changed life. He is different because he had an encounter with the Jesus who saw fit to see a man a single man. And it's cool, you see these communities change with the power of one changed life. Because what he says there, right, in verse uh, uh, nine, he says this, he says, Lord, I want to give half of my wealth to the poor, okay? You gotta put this in perspective. I mean, this would be like Bill Gates um, 
saying, I'm gonna give half of my money to the poor. I mean, that's this wealth level we're talking about here. This isn't some little statement, right? It's unreal. It has changed the world kind of money, right? I'm gonna guarantee you, those poor people, and all of a sudden, that money just rolled in, started changing things incredibly. And it even goes further. If I have um, done anything wrong with anybody, you know, I want to pay it back fourfold, which is going above and beyond what the law says, which would have been threefold. I want to go fourfold, pay it all back. I mean, you imagine getting that check from the government. Woo! And we are talking truckloads of money that change lives, change communities because one person was transformed through hope in Jesus. Zacchaeus changed the community. And Jesus finishes in verse 10 saying, this is what I came to do. This is my vision statement. My mission statement is to seek and save the lost so that they will be found, to pursue them so that they can have hope satisfied. And hope isn't just a longing, but a confident fact that we are people of hope and we can be that. That's what Jesus did. That's why our vision here at North Shore is to see our communities change through hope in Jesus one person at a time. You know, Jesus goes on, uh, you know, uh, Luke uh, 10, verse 11 through 31, and he gives a parable of saying, okay, you know, what do we do? What's the next step? What do we do with that, Christians? And he says it right there. He says, hey, I want you, um, because I'm leaving, I'm actually heading to Jerusalem, I want you, while I'm away, to keep doing what I did. John 17, 18 says, we are sent like Jesus. I want you to do that. And it talks about this whole parable. You can read it later about that, but be about what Jesus was about. We are called into this ministry of reconciliation, of bringing hope to the world. So let me ask you a question as we get ready to close. Who is your Zacchaeus? Who's that one that needs you to break stride, change your course, give time, press in, go to their house, do life with them, one person at a time. Who's your Zacchaeus? Who's out there? Right? Don't underestimate hope. It's powerful. And what Jesus can do. So we're doing something uh, alpha, and it's really kind of around this idea uh, of of that there's a world that desperately needs Jesus. That it's a world, I'll put this, full of longing to have hope. And we say we know him, Jesus. And so I want to invite you all to participate in Alpha, in our life groups. And there's going to be these cards offered to you, right? And, we, and they're called Luke 11.2 cards. And, and Luke 11 is the Lord's Prayer. And verse two is um, that your will may be done on earth as it is in heaven, that there would be God-sized work done in people's lives right here. 
And then what it asks you to do on this side here is to fill in names of people that God lays on your heart that you will pray for, that you might be led to invite to Alpha into a personal relationship with you, um, a journey with you. And it says to set an alarm for 11.02. If you stay up late like I do, it can be p.m., but assuming it's a.m., every day that alarm will go off on your watch, on your phone, wherever, um, to remind you to pray for those three people. Uh, And there's a prayer in the back. Not just them, but our city. Pray for transformation and change. That's what Jesus came to do. It's what he does. And we want to unleash the power of that through faith and prayer and an offering of us and asking the Holy Spirit to say, who do you lay on my heart? Who have you put in my path that has this uh, hidden hope that needs Jesus? So I'm going to close in prayer, and then when I'm done, um, we're going to be seeing about the living hope of Jesus. So if you're with us in person or online, and you don't know hope, you don't know Jesus Christ, our living hope, it always starts there. To receive his free gift of the forgiveness of your sins by him going to the cross and shedding his blood so you can be clean and pure before him so you can have a relationship with God now and forever. And then he went to the grave and defeated death so we can have eternity and have the power of the resurrection life now and forever. If you don't know that hope, it starts there. You know, you put something on the comments, you come up and talk to one of us, there'll be a prayer team here. Do not set on that. Respond to hope. If you know hope, step in. Step in, pray for who God has put there, who you know, and watch what the faithful one will do. Let me pray. Father God, we love you. You are good, you are powerful. You've done amazing things in our lives, in the world, and you still are doing amazing things, and we want to be a part of it. We want people to be a part of it. So I pray you'd speak to each person here, and whatever step they need to take, they would take that. And I know they'll meet the faithful one, you, and you'll love them. You'll care for them. And God, I pray if it's someone needing you for salvation, that you would have one of your faithful ones step in and care for them. Like many of us here, though, we need to be the ones that bring that hope that we have. Let it overflow. And I pray you'd put those people in our heart. We may pray for them and then watch you do your good work. Jesus, we are grateful. We love you. You are our living hope. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Good. Will you stand? Let's praise our living hope.